Father, I just pray that as right now, as, as we come, all of us, me included, God, as we come to your word, we've been reminded so many times already of our dependence on your spirit. Jesus, like what Scott reminded us of, when you went, you said you would send the comforter, the helper, to guide us in truth. And that's what we're pleading for right now. And I pray that again, like Brother Scotty said, sometimes it's a still voice with just slight nudges, but sometimes the Spirit moves in such a way that it just completely disrupts all things that we have in our hands as idols and completely tears up that fallow ground. And I pray that, Lord, for me. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. I pray that for any individual, Lord, who would be here in our presence right now or maybe might hear this message sometime. Whatever manner you see fit, God, to make your, your word known. If there's individuals who don't know you, who don't know about the hope that can be found in you, who honestly don't even know about the great need that they should have for you. We pray that your spirit would move. And we know from your word that the spirit moves like the wind, going here and there as he sees fit. So we trust. Father, I trust that if there's individuals here and they're gathering here today, that have grown up their whole lives hearing this truth. I pray that this would be the day that it would be real to them. We ask for a miracle, Lord, of you shining light into darkness, of you granting life to that which is dead. And we ask that you would move for your glory and just for the upbuilding our faith. And we pray, Lord, even, we pray for even more faith to believe your many precious promises, God. So thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to come and be here together with family. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Lord, for discernment as I speak. Just please guide my thoughts, guard my tongue, Lord, just help my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they listen, Lord, to take it back to your word. May we all be humble and see our great need for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, again, I am just, I'm amazed, and I don't know why we should be surprised at how amazed we are, <laughs> at how God can connect dots when when people have not communicated on any particular thing. Uh, but uh, there are some things this morning that the Lord has been pressing on my heart that fall right in line, Brother Jim, with what you shared and Brother Scotty, what you had mentioned at the beginning, but also what has been affirmed throughout so many of the songs that we've sang. And Are you ready to listen again? I pray that we don't fall into that trap of thinking, man, I've read that verse before, or... Wow, I've heard that again. But that we would trust that as we approach God's word, that we would believe that it is sharper 
than any two-edged sword. That it is able to pierce through our hearts so deep that it can even divide between the bone and the marrow. Penetrate us so deeply that we're not left unchanged, but that it does impact us and that it would cause us to consider what we believe, what we think we believe, and then to examine it to see if that's true in us and the way that we've responded to whatever life has presented before us. So, as I approach what I believe the Lord would have us consider this morning, I'd like to begin, and this was for me this morning, I'd like to begin with a reminder, which I believe we all too often put on the back burner, when in reality it should be the, the daily lens through which we constantly view the struggles that we face in this fallen world. And this reminder can be found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And it reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, against the schemes, against the strategies, the tactics of the enemy, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but for me it is so easy to get caught up in the physical and so often take emotions out on the physical and lose sight of that reality right there. Because that is truth, and it tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Although we do have skirmishes, right, in our relationships, because we all still battle the flesh. We battle, all, we battle our own flesh. We battle the flesh of others. And, um, but that's not the main battle. And I just I pray that that would be the lens through which we approach what we're going to be talking about this morning. So in light of that reality, don't lose sight of that. In light of that reality, does it cause you to look at the condition of our nation from a different perspective? So often we get caught up in the physical. We talk about parties, Republicans and Democrats. We talk about people in positions of authority, judges. We talk about state legislatures. We talk about ballot boxes. We talk about the process. And we fail to consider that. The battle is a spiritual battle. Do you agree? I hope you agree because that's what it says. We're going to stand on that. So as, as you think back, maybe as you've wrestled, Throughout the past, wow, how long has it been now? Since November 3rd? Um, that's a long time to miss that focus. And God helped me to regain that last night and, and felt the great need for that to, to be up front as we begin to talk a little bit about this. So as, as we are approaching 
what could be one of the most consequential weeks in our nation's history, and I don't say that lightly. We stand at the precipice of witnessing if our democracy will continue as one founded on the godly principles of our Constitution. Is this serious? Is it? And I know there's, there's a lot of talk and discussion about, well, truth just didn't come to light quick enough. It'll just be water on the bridge, and we'll, we'll get it next time. But brothers and sisters... If we claim to live in a democracy where truth matters, I don't see how anyone could step back and look at what's happened this past election cycle and say, ah, no big deal. It is a big deal. Now, is, is that where our hope is? Is in an election? No, it's not. But just to kind of get a glimpse of the seriousness I know that um, we had some, some uh, family members from our body here that actually went up to D.C. when they had a big gathering. And then the, everything that happened up there in D.C., right? A lot of deceit, a lot of deception that took place. Spiritual battles. That's the root. Do you hear me? That is the root. But in the midst of that, um, things are different right now in D.C. And I don't know if you've heard this, but there's, there's over 25,000 National Guard that is currently in the process of going to D.C. Now, why? Why bring this up? You might be wondering, well, what on earth does this have to do with coming to church today. Well, brothers and sisters, this is the time in which we live. This is the reality that is before us, and it serves as a blaring wake-up call for us to examine what we hold to be true. What are we doing with this life that God has given us? Brother Jim talked, he led off this morning with so many people be praying, you know, let, sh let light shine in the darkness. Let truth come forth. Let, I don't even know, what was the exact terminology you said, brother? Expose. And that's what we pray. Let light shine into darkness. Primarily, let light shine into darkness of my heart. Right? If we are a true believer, we should desire that. We should know how desperately we need that. We need the truth of God's word. We need his Holy Spirit shining light into every crevice of our being. So that if, there, if there are any idols, anything that we are looking to more than we are looking to God as our source for hope, more than we are looking to him as our source of huh, guidance, Lord, and more than we are looking to him as our source of peace, I want light to show me that. Don't you? So as I've considered that this morning, there are two main questions that, that comes up, okay? And you need to jot these down if you've got something to write with. And these are the two questions. Number one, are you ashamed of Jesus? 
Are you ashamed of Jesus? And the second question, will you deny him? Will you deny him? You might be going, oh boy. This is the time in which we live. And I'm not a doom and gloom type of person, but I feel very real pressure to cause a re-examination of what are we doing? What are we doing? And sure, the condition, the state of our nation at this moment and what will take place this upcoming week historically is big. Eternally, it's a drop. But our focus throughout it and what we do with the very real opportunities for us to exercise the faith that we claim is very real. So again, the questions, are you ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny him? Now, I ask these questions because they are topics that Jesus calls us to consider. Do you know that? That's not just off the top of my head. Listen to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. Mark 8, 34 through 38. When he, this is Jesus, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Is that serious? Jesus is saying, if you're going to take up your cross and follow me, you're going to lose your life. How often do we desperately cling to our life and our goals and our ambitions and our hopes? It's a daily struggle, right? That's why we're called to Die daily. That's why Jesus says to take up our cross and die daily. Die daily to self. Live for him. Take up our cross. Follow after him. But I think it's interesting that, that Christ comes at the end of this when he's talking about what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? An individual can live their whole life with ambition and goals, and get to the end of it 
and realize it's nothing. That they've wasted it. Have you reached that point in your life already? Has the spirit kind of went chink? How many years now? This is the hope, is that we serve a God that restores years, that the locusts have eaten. So there's hope, right? But I don't want us to lose sight of this, this, uh, this warning. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, of this individual who's ashamed of me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Is that the only time that something like that is in the Word? No, it's not. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. Starting with verse 28. <clears throat> and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Again, Jesus is speaking. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Serious. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Notice where that little verse that we like to pluck out is stuck right in. Right in the middle of this, considering, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who's able to destroy your soul and body in hell. Right in that, right in that line of discussion. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny him? Those aren't flippant questions. Right now, we are not living in a flippant time. We are called to wake up and examine. And I pray that that happens right now in our fellowship. I pray that we would all wake up and consider, am I ashamed of Jesus? If I say I'm not, how's that in my life? How am I showing that I'm not ashamed of Jesus? What's that look like in my life? If I say, I, I won't deny Jesus, have there been times when you have? Maybe we can make it a little easier have there been times when you've just not said anything? You just kind of let it slide? Doesn't matter. Jesus is telling us it matters. Right? I hope you say yes, because it does.
Now, after hearing Jesus state the consequences for those who are both ashamed of him and who deny him, I believe it'd be helpful to consider these warnings from the following perspectives. And these are the three thoughts that came as we would consider those two questions, okay? You can write these down too. There's three of them. And I pressed really hard, but I don't think I'm going to get past the first one today. And my flesh struggles with that because I have that very real thought of, man, I get done with this. (laughs) The thought of coming back another Sunday. (laughs) But this is not about me. Three perspectives I think it would be helpful for us to consider these warnings from. The first one is, a concerned unbeliever. Okay? The first perspective to consider being ashamed of Jesus, denying Jesus. Let's try to look at that from a perspective of a concerned unbeliever. Number two, from the perspective of a deceived, pretending believer. A deceived pretending believer. And then the third one, a humble, repenting, repentant believer. The third view to consider is from a humble, repentant believer. So, are you ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny him? Right now, we're going to focus on the first one. And again, this is, I believe this is all I have this morning. And it's so, it's so foundational that I think all of us need to stop and examine what we hold to be truth, where we are placing our hope, and is that real? Is it real? Okay. Fathers, we even look right now at these truths. I pray that you would just, your spirit would move. Just help ears that might have been just distracted up to this point. I pray that they would focus and listen and hear. I pray that eyes that would be looking at the screen to your word or looking at at the Bible that they have in their hands, that they would just focus and not be distracted and be able to see your truth. Because God Your word is alive and active. You tell us that. So I pray that it would impact us this morning. So as we look at this through a concerned unbeliever, first thing that comes to mind, the fact that an individual would even be concerned about the consequences of being ashamed of Jesus and denying him, that fact right there is a gift from God. Because so often people would say, well, are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you going to deny him? So many people would be, doesn't mean nothing to me, right? Complete hardness. But if there's an individual where when they hear that question, and if there's an individual here that's here right now, and they think about, if I'm ashamed of Jesus, he's going to be ashamed of me. If, if I deny Jesus, he said he's going to de- deny me. If that is... If that's pricking at you right now and that's causing you to stop and examine, I praise God because that's the Spirit moving. And I'm not up here this morning to guilt you into any type of decision. 
I'm here to tell you and to warn you about eternal consequences. Okay? We live in the temporary right now. This temporary will pass away. It's not going to last forever. There's going to be tumultuous times, and we could be very, very real. We could really be at the very beginning of one of those periods. And our nation has gone through periods like that before, okay? Not a surprise, but it should wake us up and, and, and be used as a help to us to consider these things, okay? If an individual who's not, not a believer, but they're concerned about these things, the first thing that, and guys, for me, and I was talking to Brother Kenny about this, I thought that this would be, because whenever I felt the Lord impressed those three different perspectives, I figured the first one would be the one I could just, man, I could zip right through that one. Nope. I don't know if you've done this, but this is, this this morning, early this morning, has caused me to consider if God brings that individual into my sphere, what would I say? What, what would I say and do that wouldn't lag behind the Spirit or step out in front of Him with my own reasoning and, and stuff? Have you considered that? I mean, you can go and try to find a plan for Romans Road. You can go and try to do this. You can try to do that. But I challenge you, sit down Ask that the Spirit would guide you as you go through His Word and find truths that would be impactful because it's the Word of God on an individual who's open to listening. That's what happened to me this morning. And this is where, this is where the Lord brought me. It might not be the same place you'd start, but this is where I am. I would say to this individual, the first thing you need to understand is why you should be fearful of death. And some people might go, what? Why else would individuals need saved if they don't understand what they need saved from? So I, w I went to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews 9, verse 27. You've heard this before. Again, look at this from the perspective of a concerned unbeliever, if they hear this. Hebrews 9, 27 reads, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. A lot of people have the perspective that they they play through their mind, well, well, this is all there is. I'm going to live for the gusto. When this is over, it's done. It is not done. How, how do you know that? The Word. The Word says that every man is appointed to die unless God, in His sovereign plan, times it to where you're living and you see the, the heavens part and the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Apart from that group, every man is appointed once to die. And then the judgment. All sinners will stand before the judgment seat of God where he 
will judge them according to what? What's the standard? How many check marks did you get on the list? How many good deeds did you do versus the bad deeds that you did? Is that the standard? Is it a big scale? Have you heard the perspective? Well, I hope I get just enough good things that outnumber the bad things so that, yeah, I'm in the green and I'm good to go. Is that what's going to occur at the judgment? All sinners will stand before the judgment seat of God where he will judge them according to his holy law. What is the holy law that he gave? He gave the Ten Commandments, right? Are you with me? Okay. I've heard about the Ten Commandments, this individual might say, but what's the big deal? God's love. So what do I have to worry about? I think that's another scheme of the enemy. Remember, the lens that we should be looking at, looking through all of these different things that we're talking about, we've got an enemy who is a deceiver. And he wants to deceive individuals that God is just a God of love and it's all going to be okay. And you fall into one of those, if you're wanting to try to live a good life, then you just do your best and it'll all be okay. That's a lie. Sinners will be judged by their works, which are all written down and recorded, to which they must give an account. Where are you getting that? Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Wow. Consider the awesomeness. And man, that word is so abused now. This is awesome. The great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. There will never be another time like this. Never another time like this judgment. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Do our actions matter? Yes, they do. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Ah, this life, you know, once it's over, it's just done, and that's it. That's a lie. There is going to be a great judgment. God will be sitting on that throne, and an individual that comes before him will stand there accountable for every action they've ever done. It is all recorded 
it is all written down. How do you know? The word tells me. If anyone uses any other type of reasoning or logic, it is a scheme of the enemy. This is the truth. Do you agree? Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, is that the only time? Maybe if it's only said that once, maybe then, yeah. Revelations 21, verse 8. Revelations, Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. I don't know about you, but maybe you're thinking, whew, dodged a bullet on that one. Whew, dodged that one. Whoops, dodged that one. Don't play that game. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. We're all idolaters. We all struggle. I mean, right? We all struggle with idols. Even as believers, we struggle with idols. But an unbeliever, that's all they have. And all liars mm, hmm, shall have their part in the lake of in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Is this real? This is real. I hope you're listening. I hope you're considering your actions. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny Jesus? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Listen to what Jesus says to those who do not fulfill the law. So that was John who was given the revelation, right? And he wrote these things down. He saw these things. God took him up. He tried to describe what that was like and allowed John to see things, to write things down so that we would understand a, a glimpse of what the judgment day is going to be like. Why? Because God is loving. God is loving to let us see and hear and have a glimpse of what that great white throne judgment day is going to be like. He's loving to let us know how important, how vitally important it is for an individual's name to be written in the, in the book of life. Right? That's loving. Now listen to what Jesus says about those who do not fulfill the law. Again, the law is what? The Ten Commandments. That's what he gave in the Old, in the old Covenant, in the Old Testament. This is found in Matthew 25, 41 through 46. Again, Jesus speaking. There's a whole front end of this talking about believers. This is the tail end of it talking about the unbelievers. It talks about the, sheeps, the sheep being separated from the goat, the goats. Okay, You can go back and read this. I'm focusing on the part right now, right now that deals with individuals at the white throne judgment and what's going to happen. Jesus is saying this. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, in the discussion, it's the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, 
into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and, we, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, these individuals who live their own lives, gave no considerations to the things that God would be asking them to do, priorities that God would have them make in their lives. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's Jesus talking there, teaching about how important this is. The judgment of God should not be taken lightly. Let's remind ourselves of the requirements of the Ten Commandments. Now, again, this is not a believer here. This is an unbeliever who's concerned about things, right? And I take that individual as someone that the Spirit is, is working on, right? Salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Hang. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen? It is of the Lord, okay? And so if this individual um, is now going, whoa, so you're telling me that I'm starting with death after this life, there's going to be a judgment, and I'm going to be held accountable to laws that are called the Ten Commandments, and if I'm found lacking in those laws, I'm going to be sent to hell, where it's telling me, it's describing it like a lake of fire, burning brimstone. Is that what you're telling me? That's what the Word is telling them. Okay? Are we going to be a willing vessel to share truth? Why? Because we're trying to scare and convince someone of something? No. Because we love them, and we want to share what the Word of God says, and we're going to let the Word do the work. But we need to be equipped to speak. I need to be reminded of, what would I say? What would I do? And this is, this is where God has led me on this. So, the judgment of God shouldn't be taken lightly. Let's remind ourselves, let's, let's remind that individual of the requirements of the Ten Commandments. And you can find those in Exodus chapter 20. And this goes from verse 2 to 17. I'm just going to read down through these, okay? Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, you remember where this was taking place, right? God had had heard the cries of the Hebrews that were in captivity in Egypt. What were they, about 400 years or something like that, right? And he sent who? Who'd he send? He sent Moses, right, with Aaron. And we talked about all the plagues that happened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. No, I'm not going to let you go. No, I'm not going to let you go. No, I'm not going to let you go. And then finally, the last plague, the death of the firstborn, right? This is not story time. This is history time. Right? This happened. And, and Pharaoh said, yes, go, get out of here, and, and you can go back and recount all these details and about how they were led by, a, by the cloud and by the pillar of fire, and then also they were led to the Red Sea, and then God in his, in his uh, 
show of great power part of the sea, right? They walked across. They were led to Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai. They're down there, and God's glory came down, burnt up the top of the mountain, and the people are like, yeah, because of his glory, right? Moses goes up. He's there. God gives him what? The Ten Commandments. This is what God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. He's making a covenant with these people that he's, bought, he's brought out from Egypt. This is how they are called to live, right? Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. As we read through these commandments, check yourself. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Oh, he's just a loving God. Says who? God says he is a what? A jealous God. If you're seeking after lesser things, does that matter? God is a what? God is a jealous God. Oh, that was, that was back then. Don't be deceived. Okay, please don't be deceived. For the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The next one. Oh, he shows, but mercy to, to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. The next one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Taking his name in vain, using it flippantly as a curse word, as something that's not significant, as something that, not, that does not recognize who that name represents. Next one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your female servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Next one, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Are you honoring your mother and father? Did you ever dishonor them? You shall not murder. Christ is going to clarify that later, isn't he? You shall not commit adultery. Again, Christ will clarify that later. You shall not steal. Ouch. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You ever slandered anyone? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not want what somebody else has. Those are the Ten Commandments. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Again, what would you say to this individual after you've talked about the Ten Commandments? Okay, Ten Commandments, so what? Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
So what are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are the laws which God set forth. This is the standard. This is the law by which you must abide. What we find in 1 John 3, 4 is whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, the sin, and sin is lawlessness. They're not abiding by the, by the standards by which God has set. Okay? So a, recogni- a recognition of what the definition of sin would be. Sin would be going against the law that God demands. Right? James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, because you might be thinking on the same list, man, I didn't have trouble with number 8. Number three, number six, eh. You might be thinking, well, again, we'll go back to the scale theory. If I, if I at least get six of the Ten Commandments and only missed out on four, I'm going to be okay, right? No. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Wait a minute, that's not fair. Excuse me? Who are we dealing with here? We are dealing with God Almighty, the one who created everything, the one who structures everything, the one who decides everything, and this is what he says. You stumble on one point, you're guilty of it all. If you're guilty and you're standing at that judgment seat, what's going to happen? If you're guilty... At the judgment seat, which we found in Revelation does exist, if your name is not written in the book of life, if you're standing there before God, what's going to happen if you're guilty? Come on. You were going to be sent to hell. Do you, do you understand? This is not playtime. This is real. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny Jesus? That puts you right in the same boat here. If you're ashamed of me, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. If you you deny me, I will deny you before the Father. Serious. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And some might go, well, see... It's not just me. Our standard is not others. Okay? As an unbeliever, as a sinner, our standard is the law that God demands. If you are not saved right now, you are underneath the law that God demands. And let me tell you this, and if I hope you're being honest with yourself. Even if you think you did pretty good on the list, I guarantee you miss some. You miss one, you miss it all. You're under condemnation. If you go to judgment, if you pass away, and it says it's appointed for once a time for man to die, and then the judgment, you will be there. And you're going to be thinking, okay, that's kind of scary. It had better be scary. This is serious. I'm not saying this because I'm wanting to scare you. I'm saying this because I love you. 
Don't allow yourself to be deceived into the thought that I come to church sometimes, I'm in this family, and you know, we're Christians, and all is well. This is about you and a holy God. And his spirit is revealing truth to you through his word this morning. And the whole point of this type of message, this perspective of trying to look at it from one who is an unbeliever, but they're concerned about it. If you find yourself in that position right now, listen. Hope is not in your ability to perform. Okay? That's what all of this is supposed to lead you to understand you cannot do it. Okay? You cannot do it. So, if all sin and the punishment of sin is death, and then we are judged according to our sinful works, which is breaking the Ten Commandments, then we're all hopeless. Yes, that is true. Man, I'm glad I came today. I'm glad you came today. I'm glad you came today. And I pray that you hear this. Then we are all hopeless if we've broken the Ten Commandments and we stand at the judgment seat. And that's exactly the point. We must be brought to the realization that in and of ourselves we are hopeless. We need saved from our sins which condemn us to death and eternal punishment in hell. The law helps us see our sin and our great need for a Savior. Are you making that up? Romans 7, verse 7. Because you might be thinking, man, Ten Commandments, none can, none can live up to it. That's, that is not fair. Law, that law is, ooh, that's bad. That, that law is evil. It's, it's rigged. Be careful. Be careful. The enemy is the deceiver, and he might, he might come to you. Did God really say? Guess what? He's got a playbook. Right? The Bible talks in other parts of the New Testament. We're not naive to his schemes. But we better be about learning. Okay? So again, talking about the law. Well, man, that law, ah. Romans 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Some might think it is. Man, this is rigged. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Why is it important that God gave the law? Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is light shining into darkness, helping you see your sin. It's helping you to understand that if you die in your sin, there's a point of the day for judgment. If you stand at that judgment seat before God Almighty, the one who is holy, and he measures you according to the Ten Commandments, you will be found guilty. That's the purpose of the law. It's to help you to see your sin. 
It's to help you to see how serious your sin is. And it's to help you to see how much you need saved. Have you ever wondered about that term? Because people say it all the time, I'm saved. Right? And if you grew up in church, that might have some kind of a weird meaning to you because of how these individuals act and live and stuff. But I'm telling you right now, when a person says they are saved, if they are a genuine believer, they are ones who the Spirit has convicted of their sin by measuring them up against the truth of the law, and they've been found wanting, and they realize that if they die and go before Him, they will suffer eternal punishment in hell, and it scares them. And they realize how much in and of themselves they cannot meet the standard. No one can meet the standard only the Savior can. And these, these individuals are brought to the point where they realize they need saved. Otherwise, they're going to hell forever. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, the law is holy. Why? Because God says it is. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law was given to prove sin. The law is a teacher. It helps us to see how sinful we are. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is good because it proves that I need to be saved from my sin. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Again, for this individual who's not a believer, but they're concerned, they're starting to feel like, man, I am, this is not looking good. This is, there's, a, there's a, a very real urgency that I stay alive. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Why? that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's why the law exists. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, why? So that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There is no reasoning here. Not, well, I did this, it doesn't matter. Well, I avoided that. It doesn't matter. Do you get it? Do you see it? The law is brought about so that every mouth will be stopped. There is no excuse. All the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, trying to do the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, no individual, no individual will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do you know that? The word tells me. Have you considered that? Have you considered why God gave the Ten Commandments? That's why. Have you measured yourself against that standard? If you haven't, you've not really stopped to consider the depth of your sin. If you've not measured yourself against that law and found yourself 
lacking, then you've not considered the ultimate reality that this life is a vapor and at some point you will die. And if you die under the law, you're going to stand before the white throne condemned because you did not fulfill the law. You did not meet the requirements. And that punishment is eternal hell forever. So having been shown by the light of the word that we are sinners who stand before a holy God condemned, who in and of ourselves deserve the punishment for our sins, which is eternal hell, having seen that, in light of all that, are you ready for some hope? Now here's the problem. If you had earplugs in this whole time, and now you jump in on this conversation right now where I'm telling you about hope, you're not, you're not going to understand why you need it. You're going to feel like, well, I think I'm going to get on that deal because that sounds pretty good. I like that hope. That's so easy the path to find yourself on number two. That's the individual who proclaims to be a believer, but they're deceived. We're not going to get there today. So are you ready for some good news? Well, guess what? That's exactly what the gospel is. Have you tasted this good news? The gospel is the message of proclaiming the only hope sinners have for redemption, and that is believing by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who humbled himself, set aside his majesty and glory, and he became flesh. He was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger. He grew up in this fallen world and lived the sinless, perfect life of obedience that only he could live. Jesus then willingly bore our punishment of sin. He became sin for us. The righteous wrath of God the Father was poured out on his son Jesus. Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty, the cost of our sins, which was death, the wrath of God. Jesus was then buried, and after three days, he rose from the grave, having gained victory over death. He was then seen by many witnesses. Jesus then ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercessions for us. Just as he ascended into heaven, he will one day return and take us home to live forever in heaven with him. That is the good news. He loves us. That is the gospel message. That is the good news that a believer has to hear. If an individual is brought to the point of the end of themselves where they recognize their sin before a holy God and they recognize their helpless estate, they need hope. The hope is the gospel. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. You live a life of sin, you sin at all. The penalty is death. Not just a physical penalty, it is an eternal penalty of hell. But the gift of God, the gospel message is about a gift. It's about the gift of the Son. It's about a gift of the Father sending the Son and the Son in His obedience obeying the Father to come and to live a perfect life. The perfect life that had to be lived so that the payment could be made. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, believes in him, believes in him. Are you catching it? If you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Two individuals right there. You've got an individual. We'll bring it back to the two questions. Are you ashamed of Christ? Will you deny Christ? You've got two people. One who believes in Jesus and his name and all that that represents we're not talking about just a physical man who walked on, the, on this earth. We're talking about the Son of God. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he is the Son of God. You believe that he came in obedience to, father, in the, to the Father to die for your sins. He, he came to save you from your sins. That's an individual who will not be ashamed of Jesus. That's an individual who will not deny him because they recognize there is no other hope. There is no other hope. He's the only way, right? Paul says, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Now, I say all of this to this point. I hope and pray that individuals listening to this on audio, wherever that is, individuals listening to this right now who are gathered among us, I pray that you're not deceived into thinking that everything is okay when you've not measured yourself up against the law of God, when you've not recognized that you have not fulfilled that law of the Ten Commandments, when you've not recognized that by not fulfilling that law, when you die, not if, when you die, and God knows that time, right? We, we push it down the road so far, what, average age, 70s now, mid-70s? Man, I got, <laughs> I got a lot of time left. No, that is not how it works. That's a scheme of the enemy to deceive you into thinking you've got time. The Word says, today is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and helps you to consider all of these things that have been shared about the law and the consequences of the law, the consequences of sin, the judgment that awaits, of hell, if it's real to you, don't wait. Heed the call. If you see the great need for a Savior, turn to Him. Look to Him. 
Now, as we start here, we're going to be looking at the perspective from Paul. Paul is a believer, right? So this is where, if you've professed Christ, if you're telling yourself, well, I'm, I'm not ashamed of him, I'm not. I will not, I'm not going to deny him. Then these truths, as we read through these, should just, just cause your soul to stir. It's all, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it, what? The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. There's your all, Scotty. The gospel message is for all those, not just the Jew, not just the, the Greek. It's for all. It's for all mankind who will what? Believe. All who will believe. And I'm not ashamed of it. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? There is no other way. That is our only hope. If that's a very real essence of your understanding of how much you need Christ, you will not be ashamed of it. You will see how precious it is, how beautiful it is, how wondrous it is. Oh, that I would glory in nothing but the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Talking about the gospel. You're sharing the gospel with this individual. You're sharing the good news. And they're ready to hear the good news because they've heard the bad news. They recognize their desperate need for good news because if all there is is bad news, there's no hope. Where is hope found? It's found in the gospel. It's found in the good news. That is the proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. It's the proclamation of what Christ came to do and what He fulfilled and what He's offering. He's saying to come. That's the good news. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. We'll visit that again. That's like number two or three there, okay? Unless you believed in vain. For, Paul says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul received the gospel. Okay, he received this message. Okay, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then that he was seen by Cephas, then by twelve, by the twelve. And that he was seen by over 500 brethren at, one, at once, of whom, after that he was seen, of whom the greater part of these people, these remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, Jesus was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, Paul says, as by one born out of due time. Paul saw Jesus after his ascension. That's the gospel message. Did you hear it? Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is what? What, what word? The word of faith, which we preach. Faith in what? Faith in believing the gospel message. Faith in believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came 
and lived that sinless life that you can't live and died on that cross in your place. He willingly took your sin upon him. He willingly bore the wrath of God the Father for your sin. And he died on that cross. And now he not only died on that cross, he was buried. And he was not only buried, but after three days, he rose again because he conquered death. He not only rose again, but he was seen. It wasn't just a mystery. Individuals saw him. And he was, he, he was witnessed by, what it said, up to 500. And then, then he, others saw him ascend. He went back to heaven. They witnessed it. They saw it. And he's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding now for us, those who believe in him. And we believe that just as he rose again from the grave and ascended into heaven, we believe, as he said, he's going to return. Because he said, if I go to prepare, to prepare a place for you, I will return and bring you with me so that you might be where I am. God is faithful. Is that your hope? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Whoever believes on him. I'm going to read it all again. Romans 10, 8 through 13. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Come on. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you confess Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, I'm not ashamed of him. I won't deny him. Jesus is Lord. I don't care whatever people, other people think. I don't care if they think I'm foolish. I don't care. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to confess him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's the hope of the gospel. Saved from what? Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of your sin. Saved from the wrath of God, which is poured out upon unbelievers, which will one day face a judgment seat at the white throne, which if they are not saved from their sin, they're accountable for their sin. And if they are accountable for their sin, the Word says they're going to hell. That's what they're saved from. That's why we need a Savior. That's why the gospel is good news. Come on, he's good news. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't deny him. He is worthy. He's worthy to receive adoration and praise. He's worthy to be made much of. He's worthy in conversations to say, you know what? I, I have a Savior that saved me. And I'm so thankful for him. And I see your life right now. And I love you, but I've got to tell you about this. And you tell them about the truth of the penalty of sin. You tell them how they can recognize their sin by talking about the law. You tell them what is coming because you love them. And there's no other way for hope to be found apart from the gospel, apart from the good news of Jesus coming. This is it. This is the foundation. This is 
what we are called to represent as ambassadors here in this life. I go back to what I said before when we're talking about where we find our nation right now and we see the very real seriousness, 25,000 troops in D.C. and probably growing. Okay? Serious. This world is not guaranteed. You might be thinking, well, that's in D.C. It doesn't matter. Wake up! It's not flesh and blood. We battle against what? Spiritual powers, darknesses. That's the lens we must constantly keep before us. Death is certain apart from Christ coming. And then if Christ comes and you are condemned under, under sin, it's not any better. It's not going to be a glorious return. It's going to be, let me crawl under the rocks. Help me to get away from this judgment that is coming. Oh, sinner, call on him. Confess your sins to God. Cry out to him for forgiveness and mercy. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Trust in him to save you from the penalty of your sins. Trust in him as having taken all your sins upon him. And I say all, I mean all past, all present, all future. Trust in him to take all those sins upon himself on the cross and believe that all the wrath that God the Father has for those sins, for your sins, believe that they were placed on him. They were poured out upon Jesus and believed that Christ Jesus died in your place. Believe that he was buried and after three days he rose from the grave. Believe that he was seen by many witnesses. Believe that he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Believe that he is ever making intercession for you. Believe that Jesus will one day triumphantly return to take you home forever to be with him in heaven. Believe it. Believe in Him. There's no other way. There is no other way to be saved from your sins. Any other way is deception. Any other way is deception. He is the only way. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Thomas. Now this isn't after he comes back. This is beforehand. Okay? He's telling them he's going away. He's going to go away. But if I go away, I'm going to come back. And, and Thomas is like, what? And Jesus is reassuring him. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way. Because Thomas is like, well, how can we go where you're going? Right? Still not comprehending what Jesus was about to do. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem and be crucified. Right? And he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Will you be ashamed of Jesus? Will you deny him? Will you believe on Jesus for salvation? Do you recognize, oh, I pray. I pray that you recognize your sin. I pray that you realize that based on the standard of God's law, you fail. 
you're condemned. I pray that you understand there is no hope. I pray that you see that as you would one day die and stand before God, you would stand before him in that judgment condemned of sin. And I pray that you would understand that that's not fantasy land. That is ultimate reality. This is coming. It is coming. And I pray that if you hear that truth and you recognize where you stand before a holy God based on the standard of the law, no flesh will be justified before him. The law was given out of love to prove how desperately you need a Savior. And I pray that as you've heard this word proclaimed this morning, the truth of God's word, I pray that you would say that he would, he would have such a great sense and a very real awareness of how much you need Jesus. When you talk about the thought of being saved, you understand, I pray that you understand you need saved because if you're not saved, you're condemned. And if you're condemned, you're in hell for eternity. But if you wake up to that reality of needing Jesus, if these words don't fall on deaf ears and you truly hear what they mean, you really stop and consider examining yourself according to the law and you see your great need for hope, your hope is found in the gospel, the gospel message, the good news, the good news of who Jesus is, the Son of God, the good news of why he came. He came in obedience to Father to pay the penalty for sin. The good news that not just sin alone, he, he came to, to pay the penalty for your sin. Do you believe that he came to die in your place on the cross? Do you believe that if you don't trust him to die in your place on the cross, you're still going to pay that penalty? But if you believe the good news, you believe in a, a good, loving Savior, the one who comes and gives of himself, who takes upon the wrath of God for your sins and dies in your place, that is good news. It can't get better than that. And then you believe that he died. You believe that he rose. You believe that he was seen. You believe that he ascended. You believe that he's coming again. That's the gospel. And if you believe it, oh, you have great reason to rejoice. You believe it, that's where you have peace in the midst of a thought of a nation on the brink of an upcoming week as what awaits us. That's where you can have peace. Because it's not in the physical, in the circumstantial. It's in an understanding of who you are because of what Christ has done. And by acceptance of him, how you've been made righteous because of Christ's righteousness in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I just pray that in the midst of all this, God, that you've been glorified. And I do pray, Lord, that I trust you, Lord. I, I trust you say that your word will not return void, empty. So, God, even if there's not a profession here today, right now, and I pray there would be, I pray that your spirit would just be pressing in and convicting of sin and, and helping people to see that this is not a scare tactic, but we, but we all think we're going to live longer than we aren't guaranteed. I pray that an individual won't leave here today still wondering, still wondering, well, uh, do, I really, do I really believe this? Is this really for me? 
I pray that if there's questions that, that your spirit would guide those conversations. There's nothing more foundational. There's nothing more real than this. I pray for families that have been praying for years that there would be an assurance of salvation for their kids. I pray for them. I pray for my family, God. And I pray that as we would come back at the next time that we can gather, that as we would look together at those other two perspectives, that you would cause us, those who claim profession in Christ, that you would cause us to examine ourselves. So right now, make us aware of the great need of people to recognize sin and to see their great need for a Savior. Equip us. Help us to be ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. If we are truly saved, oh, may we just shine that hope in everything that we do. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.